0: People are addicted to ambient anxiety. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, it's like the last thing a fish notices is water. The last thing most people notice is how much or if ambient stress they're living in because they're in it 24-7. Basically, it's like managing your commitments with yourself, but most people have no idea how many commitments they've made. Mm-hmm. Ambient anxiety is simply because there are agreements you have with yourself, implicit or explicit, that you haven't finalized yet. And you're not appropriately engaged are you appropriately engaged with your cat are you appropriately engaged with your health are you appropriately engaged with this interview daniel all
0: right let's get into it um david allen welcome to the metagame
1: daniel, thanks for the invitation again yeah glad yeah. to be here
0: so you won't need any introduction for our listeners so i just want to jump straight into it but with, the,
1: uh, you, you could you could do an introduction for me who <laughs> i'm still trying to figure out who who, who i am you know what? That's actually,
0: that's actually a good point because often when I talk to someone new in this format, I'll tell them how I've encountered them, like uh, my personal experience with their, their stuff. So maybe, maybe I'll just share that. Um, and, uh, you know, this, cause I, I mentioned it before, but I read GTD when I was, uh, 15, I just happened to be one of those guys that I don't know, wanted to optimize like doing my homework or whatever I needed to do at the time. Um, and I remember actually, uh, illegally downloaded a PDF of it. I didn't even own a a copy of the book and I read it. And then I tried to, uh, proselytize it to my family. I I remember telling my mom about it and no one really resonated with it. Um, so basically you've, you've had, uh, an impact on the way that I manage my mental state, my presence, and my ability to do things for a very, very long time. I see you as a,
1: by the way, I didn't do it. You did it. You know, I get, I, I define the game, but you're the one who played the game.
0: Right. Yeah. And, uh, I guess like, if I were to say, like, I don't, I've never really seen you as like a productivity guy. I see you more as a, as like a closer to like a meditation teacher you know, or a martial artist. And so that's, that's my, that's my little intro for you.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Well, l- let me comment on that. I am a martial artist. About how do you manage yourself in this world? Mm-hmm. So it is a martial art. Oh, that okay. Oh, oh, that. A lot of martial art is how do you deal with surprise and how do you get ready for whatever may be showing up, and how do you optimize your ability to to you know Bruce Lee esque? How do you optimize the strength of anything you do? with the least amount of effort. How can you create the maximum amount of power? And that became, gee, that became his, you know, martial art that he worked with. And, you know, essentially that sort of got rid of all the traditional stuff. It just got into pure efficiency.
0: Yeah. There's a quote that of yours that I actually don't think is, is said enough because you have, you're very quotable and people often go for like the more productivity ones, but what you just said, reminded me of this, you said, your ability to generate power is directly proportional to your ability to relax.
1: Sure.
0: And, uh, That's why
1: if you if I'm sparring with you, Daniel, I'm gonna to try to get you upset. Yeah, tense. Why? Tense because you're gonna then overreact. And if I can get you to overreact, I can control you. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the world.
0: Right. Yeah. So just to kind of uh intro some of the people who are uninitiated, you once said <laughs> that. People are addicted to ambient anxiety. And I think this is like the best, like one liner to get into the whole, what GTD is all about. So what did you mean by that? What is ambient anxiety?
1: Well, it's like the last thing a fish notices is water, mm-hmm. right? The last thing most people notice is how much of ambient stress they're living in because they're in it 24 seven and have been in it 24 seven for X years, right? So they don't think there's any different world. than than being waked up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, God, I forgot. Or or, what am I going to do about X, Y, and Z? And those those become, basically, it's like managing your commitments with yourself. But most people have no idea how many commitments they've made. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what I uncovered is you better get conscious about your agreements and your commitments so you can renegotiate them. You can be able to get rid of that ambient anxiety. Ambient anxiety is simply because there are agreements you have with yourself, implicit or explicit, that you haven't finalized yet, and you're not appropriately engaged. That's another one of my phrases mm-hmm. that I think mm-hmm. sits very closely with that. Are you appropriately engaged with your cat? Are you appropriately engaged with your health? Are you appropriately engaged with this interview, Daniel? Are you appropriately engaged with your tech? Right. <laughs> you know, are you appropriately engaged with your career? Are you appropriately, you know, come on, appropriate engagement does not mean work harder. It just means, what is that? Am I okay with where that is right now? Have I got that as much under control as I could possibly have it? So I can then see the right things I need to see at the right time to then make better intuitively conscious, you know, strategic decisions about what I'm doing moment to moment. Now I just said a mouthful, but that's really what the getting things done methodology is really about.
0: Yeah. And that ties in with this thing about overreacting or underreacting. That's inappropriate yeah. engagement.
1: Correct. It's not a bad thing. I mean, come on. I don't, this is not a judgment. It's just a a reflection of, of I'll say the truth out there is that most people live in this spin, Mm -hmm. the the sort of squirrel cage running around in their head. What are you going to do? I I still have that too. Right. I still have to, I still have to implement what I teach. You know, Oh wow. We're going to Sicily for two weeks. Okay, wait a minute. What, what do I need to do? I mean, you know, just going on a big trip. <laughs> how many things, you know, could you create, have ambient anxiety about, you know? So it's, it is it is rampant out there, but most people are used to it. I, I, I get into it mm-hmm. from time to time, but I don't like it. So I know how to get out of it, you know? So... I think you're always going to create some ambient anxiety. As soon as you set a new goal or have a new vision or have a new something, you're going to create some sort of a dissonance because now you're already full up to here. Now you got some new thing. What are you going to do with all the rest? Mm-hmm. You know, how, do you re- how do you recalibrate all that? Which ones are you going to let go of? Because now you got a whole new thing, but you have, don't have the bandwidth to deal with that. You know, So the changing of your world or the world around you automatically forces you into a kind of a dissonance Mm -hmm. and then forces you into, if you want to get rid of the dissonance and resolve it so that you're now appropriately engaged with the new situation, then you need to apply the capture, you know, clarify, organize, reflect, you know, a set of best practices that I uncovered.
0: Yeah. And I I want to get into these best practices, but I, I want to, I want to share this analogy that you once said, which I think really drives the point you're making home, which is okay. You got these best practices, the five steps, but most people don't do them. And when I remember, uh, at the stoa, when somebody asked a, a similar question, like, well, what do I do about this anxiety? You said it's analogous to what do you do when you feel like you need a shower or, um, like you do your weekly review for the same reason that you brush your teeth at some point, you no longer tolerate the feeling of scuzz. And so you go deal with it for whatever reason, people don't have that same relationship with their ambient anxiety. At some point it builds up enough for, for you or for someone who's actually experienced a state of peace that's possible. And then you just go through these, uh, these GTD
1: principles. At the dramatic end of that is burnout. Yes. You know, people recognize it when, when the pain is now so bad that they have to then try to fix it or the, the dissonance is so loud that they know they need to get to more quiet again. But oftentimes it takes getting to a fairly significant volume before they're going to think they need to do something about it.
0: Well, it's almost like, um, to, to take this analogy to its absurd conclusion. It's like, there's billions of people who are running around filthy, never taken a shower before. And they don't even realize that there's such a thing as, as running water until they get sick. Maybe.
1: Yeah. Or people that, you know, it's so funny people complain about you know, when I talk about getting your in basket to zero in terms of email and all the other ins that you have, getting them appropriately engaged with all the incoming and surprises and changes that are going on in your world. So you stay current with all that. Mm-hmm. They complain says, "Oh, I don't, don't, don't want to process all my email. Great. You only take out part of your garbage. Right. Right. What are you doing? Oh, here's the really bad stuff. Let me throw that away, but I'm going to keep the other stuff. It'll be okay for a few days. Oh, give me a break.
0: So I want to bring something oblique into this, which will be related, I promise. Um, Last time we spoke, I mentioned how uh, I rediscovered GTD from first principles when I took uh, five grams of magic mushrooms and I had this like heroic dose trip. And I wasn't thinking about productivity at all, but somehow like in the state, in this altered state, I rediscovered all the steps. And um, since we spoke, I, I found a better way to... Describe what that experience was like, and I want to I play it back to you. So okay. I, I think psilocybin, just like meditation and some of these other substances and practices, they reduce what cognitive scientists call sensory gating. So the thing that that you naturally put, you put a filter on the world because not everything is relevant to you all the time. And so you take mushrooms, then that sensory gating is gone. And then you become extra bothered. By the things that were already kind of bothering you so in another another way it like dials up the ambient anxiety to a point where and i remember this um, i start to feel like very uncomfortable with the disarray of my messy room for instance or um this like intention that i had from the day before that i hadn't realized or this conversation that i had with my mom that didn't go very well and like all these things just it became so viscerally um salient to me so I had to do something about it. So I started to capture them, started to write them down. And then once they were written down, I was like, well, I, I can't do all this now. I need to clarify when I'm going to do this. I was like, well, I got to put this somewhere so that I, I can remember. So tomorrow, Daniel, my future self can also deal with this. So I started to organize it. And at some point I started to realize like, wait, I've read this before. And so <laughs> somehow it came, it came back to me in the form of a discovery. And that's when I, I was like, all right, this isn't just some productivity technique. This is some spiritual um. Uh, martial art type stuff. So first, you know, I'd like to hear your reaction to that, but then maybe we can start to get into some of these steps. Like wh- how do people get rid of amb- Ambient anxiety.
1: Yeah. Well, what you just said is, um, well, you seem to get clarity about what I uncovered over all these years, which are the steps you need to take in order to be able to not be distracted and not have these things inappropriately engaged with you. Mm. And so, you know, it took me a long, I guess it would have been nice to take a trip and see all that, but you know, I, I didn't, I took a long trip. The last trip I took was in 1970, I think, when I took an acid trip, but mm. that was, you know, I haven't, haven't smoked a joint since 1971. So I sort of gave up all the psychedelic things uh, that's okay so but i don't judge any of that it's like okay that's your experience uh uh seeing that and then being aware of that and then being able to do something about it that's you know probably the the master key about it as opposed to feel guilty if you didn't do what you saw that Mm -hmm. you ought to do Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
0: and what comes to mind here is that um we're more stimulated these days than I think we were say 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And in a way that forces us to up the sensory gating, like there's just so much coming at us. And I think that's another reason why people aren't in tune with this ambient anxiety because there's just too much coming at them. And I I recommend to people, if you do uh, um, some sort of uh, like detox for two weeks, you get rid of Twitter you, you, you uh, stop checking your email compulsively and all this type of stuff, or you, you meditate, you go on like a Vipassana, a 10-day retreat or something like that, you will become aware of the degree to which you've been anxious.
1: Yeah. Well, you can do it. In, I can do it in two minutes. Mm. I need to go on a retreat. Right. Let's go. Wait a minute, David, what's got your attention right now? Hmm. No, I'm clean. Cool. What's next? Doesn't take long once you get used to quieting yourself and listening to what's going on most people just are not used to taking the time to do that but it doesn't mm-hmm. take a lot of time once you get practice with it or get used to it or just be even be aware sorry you know stop take a breath take two <laughs> Right that. it brings you present good and, uh, but people say, why should I bring myself present? Because I'm so engaged in my world and I have to, my world has to go and, you know, and they're, they're crazy busy and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, good luck.
0: So tell us, how do we get
1: rid of ambient anxiety? What are the five steps? Well, the, the first thing you have to do is recognize what you're inappropriately engaged with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In other words, what's got your attention? See, everybody listening or watching this right now has got a whole lot of stuff in the life going on that's not on their mind. Why it's on cruise control. Washing machine works. You know, my spouse is cooking dinner. The dogs have been walked and feed and booped. All cool. Well, what else? Oh, yeah. Should we hire the VP? Oh, God. You know, I got this ugly email I'm going to have to respond to. And oh, yeah. You know, I came back from Sicily and <laughs> all my us and dutch taxes that i had to sort of update and get current on so this morning i had a lot of ambient anxiety about making sure Mm. (laughs) that i got that all under cruise control so before we came on i pretty much put it all to bed and, and, and was able to deal with all that so uh what's got your attention and that's you know when i say what's got your attention it's possible that things have your attention that you don't need to do something about mm-hmm rare rare gee how's my daughter doing these days well great that's got your attention what are you going to do about it but most people don't take it that next step if they say, what am i going to do about this thing because i'm concerned that i'm not spending enough time with my daughter yeah <laughs> you are inappropriately engaged with your daughter at the fact that that keeps popping into your mind it should mm-hmm. pop into your head once pops in once you go Okay, what do I need to do about that to appropriately engage with my relationship with my girl? And then you make that decision. And, you know, that may or may not be an easy decision, but it's probably simpler than you think. Wow, I think I need to schedule some time tomorrow to take her to the park or the zoo or spend some time and ask her about what she wants to do in life. haven't had that conversation in a while. Who knows? So step one is capture all of that and capture all of that means not just let it keep spinning in your head, write it down, digitalize, do something, externalize that thing. So you've got some sort of particle out there that's sitting there spinning in a way to remind you that you have something you still need to decide about, Mm -hmm. but it needs to get out of your head because your head's just a really crappy office. It has no sense of past or future. So if it keeps spinning in there, you'll think about it 16 times at three o'clock in the morning, you know, just about one of the most unproductive things you could do because you're not making any progress while you're sitting there spinning about it. Now, if you sat there and thought about it and said, well, here's what I think I need to do about that. Great. Then make sure you've got some pen and paper to buy where you sleep and write it down. <laughs> so, You know, it, in a way this is like duh stuff, right? Because if people think, Oh, here's stuff I need the grocery. And you're keeping a post-it on your fridge that keeps the grocery list whoever's going there, make sure you pick up soy milk or lemons or dill or you know, whatever that's on the list that it's out of your mind. You're now appropriately engaged with it. doesn't mean you have to think about, oh, we need dill and then go to go buy this go buy dill at the store. Just put it on the list that the right person's going to see at the right time, so you have dill when you need it. So it's not that complex. It's not rocket science unless you're building rockets, in which case they need a capture <laughs> like anybody else.
0: So step one is capture. Step two is clarify. And yeah, now I have this clarified this list.
1: What do we do yeah, with that? Well, now that it's the list is not clarified if you just captured. Mm-hmm. You, what you then need to do is go, okay, what am I going to do about that? Is that actually something I'm going to do, take an action on? Or is that just reference material? Or is it that just something I need to remind myself about in a couple of months? So you need to clarify specifically what your agreement with yourself is about the things that have your attention. And that's the clarify step. And that's a That's something most people need to be trained to do. It's not something you're, you're, you're not born doing that. It's actually an installed thought process, which is what I uncovered over all these years is that thought process that you need to apply. I can't tell you how many sophisticated executive making a whole whole lot more money than I'll ever see in my life that are sitting there numb because of how many things they, they avoided clarifying what they're going to do about them. Mm -hmm. That's all I do is help them make those decisions.
0: And so the the nuts and bolts of that have always been defining the outcome. Like what does done look like? And then the next physical action. And I find that people have a lot of difficulty in in different ways with both of these. What's been your
1: experience with that? Exactly. Same thing. Most people have, you know, gee, should we adopt or not? What's your outcome? Well, we don't know whether we're going to adopt or not. What's your outcome? Hmm. I guess we need to get clarity about whether that's a go or a no go. Ah, uh, now you have an outcome. You got a project mm-hmm. called get to get to a you know resolve or clarify adoption, you know, with the people involved. That's a that's an outcome. And very few people are sophisticated enough or trained enough or have enough experience to think about that as an externalized commitment mm-hmm. that needs to be objectified and put on a list that you need to look at regularly. How are we doing about clarification about this thing or resolution on this thing? And then of course, assuming that you're gonna take any action on it at all, even if you don't see people say, well, we're just gonna research it or just look into it or whatever, well, great. What would you need to do to look into it? Going to surf the web? You got some friends you need to call and ask them how they did it. What? What's the next thing you would need to do if you were gonna get resolution or clarity on this outcome that you're committed to? And most people avoid that decision like the plague could have fooled me.
0: So I want to introduce two, um, contemporary phenomena, like cultural issues. I think that speak to both of these, the outcome and the next physical action. And so to start with the next physical action, I think one of the reasons why people have difficulty with this is that they're quite disembodied, you know, they live in a digital world. They spend a lot of time in the realm of concepts and not in the realm of the physical world. So it's actually kind of hard to think about what do I physically need to do, especially if a lot of the physical stuff you need to do involves just typing in a keyboard. It's not physically going to different places. So that's one. And then the other is something, um, have you ever heard the term, the meaning crisis? No. So it's it's what it sounds like. Basically, because we live in what some would call a post-religious West, right? People don't have these meta-narratives, these cosmic stories to make sense of their lives and, and give them a sen- sense of values. It's hard to know why they're even here, you know, and you have your six horizons of focus at the purpose and values level. If you're a religious person, you might have something off the shelf to, to put in there. But if you have to come up with your own philosophy, you don't have something to to guide the whole system. So I think that makes the outcome difficult because... If you ask outcome questions enough, at some point you run into philosophy. Um, so yeah, what do you think of these, these two phenomena, the meaning crisis and the disembodiment that's a tech induced disembodiment?
1: Yeah. I think they're, they're probably both accurate ways in a way to describe the yeah, you know, of, of what's going on. Yeah. Don't know that I could add anything. I would just have probably a different vocabulary or a different spin a little bit on it in that. You know, most people, you you don't need to know the big picture to have some outcome that you're appropriately engaged with. Mm. And oftentimes, you need to get control of your more material world so that it gives you some bandwidth to think about the less material thing. So a lot of people say, well, gee, David, starts with the the most mundane and ordinary and action level. And it's like, well, that's because that's what most people are. (laughs) That's where most people most people are are wrapped around the axle about their material world and how they're engaged with it, and mm-hmm. then they try to set goals or have a vision or have that you know these higher level conversations, and all it does is just create mud because they they don't feel confident they can execute on it. I mean that's been my interpretation of why so many people resist something so simple and so powerful.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a an important. Insight here. Um, I think GTD is less about getting things done and more about creating space.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Because if you're appropriately engaged with your whole life, you got a lot of space mm-hmm. <laughs> to do whatever you want. You want to paint. You want to, you know, have, you want to write poetry. You want to just think strategically. You want to just hang out with your kids. You want to whatever. And so that space. You don't need time. You can't manage time. You know, time just is. But what you can manage is the room that you have in your head to think about stuff while you have a free 10 minutes. Right? If you're still wrapped around the axle about so many things, it's very hard to take off for half an hour and think strategically about what you're doing with your business or your career. Hard. Some going to resist the hell out of that because you're resisting doing all the other stuff you told yourself you wanted to do. So you know, learning to execute will give you confidence to be able to then take on bigger stuff.
0: Something implicit in a few things you said, um, which is basically represented by the word integrity. It, you mentioned agreements earlier. Um, <laughs> and GTD is almost like the nuts and bolts of, of, integrity because you're articulating the agreements you have with yourself and others, and then you're getting very clear on, Um, should I execute on this agreement? Should I renegotiate it? And that builds what you're saying now, this sense of trust, the self-trust and the space to, to deal with like maybe some of the bigger things that you've been avoiding. Right. Well said. So we, we have capture. We, which is writing everything down. That's, uh, demanding your attention. We have clarify, which is articulating. What is it that that's the outcome for these things in the next physical action and then,
1: by the if, way, clarify, it also might mean I'm not going to do anything about that, but I'm going to save it as reference. Right. Or I'm not going to do anything about that, but I'm going to put it on someday, maybe to then rethink it when we have more money or when we, you know, further down the track and we can maybe make a smarter decision about it. And then what's trash? Mm-hmm. No, come on, I don't need that. Why is that even there? What a dumb idea. So it, it's defining the, the actionable things. And again, that's the first question you need to ask is whatever you wrote down something that is actionable in terms mm-hmm. of your agreement with yourself? And if so, then yes, you have outcome and action thinking that you need to apply. But it also said, no, there's no action required. Then it's either reference or incubate or trash. Right. But those, you know, probably 50% of my email gets trashed. So I'm still clarifying, but I'm just mm-hmm. deciding that's where that is. It's just that it ties very closely to organized because I put trash where trash goes.
0: Yeah, so what's the next step? What's organized?
1: Well, if you can't finish something the moment you think of it, then you need to then keep some track of it. If you don't want this thing to spin in your head, then you need to, you know, have some sort of an external system that you park the reminders that you need to see when in the appropriate context. That's organized. You know, it's like your calendar. You know, why keep a calendar? Well, because my brain can't I can't trust my brain to keep track of all that. Great. You know, you got it. So now you've got an external brain where you're keeping track of stuff you need to be reminded about. And the night before, I look at my calendar to see what I'm going to do tomorrow. and sort of set up my life that way, but I can't do that in my head. Maybe if you have, you know, if you have a rice bowl and cave and, you know, and may Paul, maybe you don't need a written calendar, but who's there?
0: Yeah, or when people put something right by their door before they leave the house. To remind them to take it with them. That's a form sure. of organize. Of course. So, what comes after organize?
1: Well, then you need to look at your list. <laughs> you need to look at your grocery list when you go to the grocery store. Right? You need to review or reflect on the contents that you captured, clarified, and organized so that when you run out for errands, you don't miss an errand you should run. So, I have a list of errands I need to run. So, when I go out, I go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I need to pick up. X, Y, and Z over there. So it's just making sure that you would then engage with your external brain mm-hmm. and the contents of it in some appropriate way. And that could go to a lot of different levels. Maybe how often, you know, it could be, how often do you need to review your strategic plan? How often should you and any life partner re- review what you're doing with your life and your career and your lifestyle, where you want to be five years from now? So any of that could be a version of reflect. Called, let's step back and take a look a little higher horizon on you know the the things we've got commitments about our interest in or attention on So it could be at any of those different levels but it's just probably the most missing thing as you know daniel is the weekly review once a week people need to bring up the rear guard and sort of get their material world back in order yeah otherwise otherwise very difficult to go anything go any further
0: yeah people always say that GTD works insanely well for them when they do it and when they do their weekly review, which is only, you know, like 5% of the time and people really struggle in particular with the weekly review. Why do you think that's the case?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I think people think I don't have time to get to, to get my act together. I'm just so in my act, (laughs) Mm -hmm. let me just keep spinning in my act, you know, as opposed to, wait a minute, is this the act I should be acting on right now? Let me see. So I think there's the resistance, you know, probably to uh, to that. Again, it's the ambient anxiety that people are used to living in and living with. And so I do a weekly review simply to get rid of that.
0: Yeah, one of the theories I have about this is that people intuit. it <laughs> That if they did their weekly review, it would actually course correct their life in a way that's uncomfortable. Like maybe they would have to quit their job or something, or have like a very difficult conversation with someone that they're avoiding.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, welcome to life. If it were easy, you wouldn't grow.
0: So the final step of the five is you engage, you act. You want to say a little bit yeah. about that?
1: Yeah. So like, where do you now put your attention or your activity based upon that you've Captured everything, you've clarified everything, you've organized it all, you step back and looked at the whole game. Then you decide to have a beer or play with the kids, or work on that tough email you've been avoiding, and that you need to grapple with. So it's all about then making a decision, an appropriate decision about what you're doing. And what you're doing. That's why I changed doing in my first book. I wrote doing as a fifth step, but it's actually engaged because doing has this spin about working harder and, mm-hmm. and and you know more activity. But sometimes your activity is to meditate or to do nothing, or to stop and reflect, or just take a walk with the dog or the kids. That's sometimes, and those are seldom on my calendar. Mm-hmm. They're not on any of my lists. I do them because I'm clear, I got space. Seems like that's a thing to do. And that then lets my archive brain pull a lot of this stuff together. Because we know now the research has shown yeah. you have three brains. You have the the forebrain, which is the showed up the last. That's the, the part of you that's conscious that makes decisions about things, it's strategic and makes choices about stuff. And you have the limbic brain, which is the sort of just eat and procreate and, and survive, you know. And it's the oldest part. You know, from the limbic cortex, and both of those are going on. And a lot of it is depending on are you listening to your forebrain or are you letting your limbic brain sort of make those choices for you? Mm. But given all of that, because life is so complex, given what we all deal with on a daily basis in terms of how many inputs, how many decisions, how many things we think about, how many things, ooh. you know, somebody complained about 300 emails a day. How many thoughts do you have today? Try 50,000. Mm-hmm. I couldn't complain about email. I complained about your brain, you know? And so all that needs to be somehow knit, knitted together in some less than conscious way. And that's why, you know, my friend, Theo Copernoli. I may have mentioned the book before brain chains talks about all the research that's been done now about why the brain needs to rest. So mm-hmm. the archive brain can take all of that data and put it together. That's why sleeping on a problem usually works. Now you have to have the intention to solve the problem they found, but then when you sleep on it in the morning, it's the aha ah whatever. Because once you go unconscious, like sleepwise, it allows you to bypass your conscious conditioning. So back to your psychedelic experience, you were just awake when that happened, mm. but all it does is all it does is to sort of remove the barriers of the, that that your conscious mind and screens have put up. So that's where you can make connections that you never. That you never thought of before that's where all that happens that's where the brain needs to rest that's why every 90 minutes you need to take at least five minutes to walk around do something you know you better have eight to nine seven to eight to nine hours of sleep a night otherwise your archived brain is is not not functioning optimally and great to take a nap instead of have a cup of coffee at two o'clock in the afternoon much yeah. better for you and much better for your brain to then sort of digest Or I do many times what I do is at night when the dogs have been put to bed, Catherine's gone to bed and just up there with a glass of wine or something. And there's in my chair, and I put away all my electric or whatever. I just sit back and let myself say whatever. Mm -hmm. And and many times the results of that whatever are interesting, fun, and useful. That's why, you know, even when I do that, I still have my pocket note taker that's still with me. Right. even when I do that sort of casual reflection time, because God knows what lightning might strike when I'm in that mode.
0: This reminds me of something Naval Ravikant said about meditation. And he said, he did the most interesting intros to meditation. He said, it's basically like you have an email inbox of thoughts that you've just been avoiding because you haven't been checking it for years. And then the first time you sit down, let's say you meditate for half an hour, you just sit there with no stimuli. <laughs> you see those thoughts come up, and you just—if you just do that every day, just like look at that inbox—eventually you'll process th- those thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Same idea. So those those five principles, um, I believe they're timeless, but their expression and implementation might change depending on the situation. So I'm curious. What are some things you may have changed your mind about or changed the way you talk about since you wrote the first edition back in 2002 or 2001?
1: Mostly just the audience that I'm talking to. You know, the, when the first edition was written, you know, because Penguin wanted to market it, obviously, successfully and in, you know, in 2000 and 2000. The hungriest audience for that were the fast-track professionals. They were starting to get with the tsunami of email, et cetera, et cetera. So we, it was very much positioned as a kind of a business self-help book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what happened over the next 15 years was realizing, I even knew back in 2000, this worked for for clergy, it worked for students, it worked for nurses, it worked for parents, it worked for stay-at-home dads, worked for anybody. Anybody got a busy life that wanted to have a clearer head, have more space to think about it so a lot of what changed was simply my willingness to talk to a much wider spectrum of audience about the application of this and why it worked and you know also you know after 15 years i i like some of the change in vocabulary which is more the subtleties that i understood you know mm-hmm. in terms of the broader implications of the, the these five principles you know and, and that's why collect became capture because capture, collect is kind of a static thing. Let me just go gather all the stuff together. Capture says, God, there could be stuff anywhere out there in terms of thoughts or whatever that I need to have some sort of a, a, a capturing mechanism or function or principle you know, to apply. That's why again, uh, doing turned to engage mm-hmm. so that we could kind of get rid of the you know the bad press that the word productivity has.
0: A question that comes up a lot is that people are like, all right, GTD works when I do it, but I consistently fall off the horse. What's a good protocol for when you let the system, your organization system get overgrown with weeds?
1: How do you get back? Walk in, get a piece of paper and capture, just start to implement this. Come on. It's going to take you two minutes to start down and whatever. It's going to take you. I don't know, it depends on how much crap you've let spread around your desk and your office or your space, gather it all together, but you still need to do something about and throw it in your in tray. You know, that's what I do when I walk in with anybody that they they want me to coach. That's exactly what we do. I don't care whether they're serious GTDers already. They got more of that to do. Mm -hmm. If If they're clueless, then we just start from scratch. But start from scratch anywhere. It doesn't take long. Come on, guys. How long does it take to sit down and capture stuff that's now got your attention? That's not in your system yet. Yeah. Long as long as it takes, you just have to get rid of your addiction. And how do you do that? You just keep coming back to the well. You just keep coming back. You keep coming back. You keep coming back. And at a certain point you'll feel uncomfortable if you don't come back, but it doesn't happen overnight. You know, uh, I'm just you know rewriting an, an essay that I wrote a long time ago. I don't know who came up with these, but, There's like the four stages you go through to change a behavior. Mm. And there's, you know, stage one, unconscious incompetence. I don't know what I don't know that I don't know about what I don't know. Right. Ask me to cook risotto. I said, risotto. Oh, I've heard of that. That, You know, I I don't know. (laughs) Right. Stage two. Conscious incompetence. okay, here's a recipe for okay. okay. So now I'm conscious about what I'm not good at. <laughs> so, like GTD. okay, I read the book and I see this thing, but I, I, I'm not really doing it. So there's conscious incompetence. Then what do you have? And then a bit a bit further then you have conscious competence. I'm aware of what to do, and I actually do it. You know, somewhat regularly, but I have to focus on doing it in mm. order to do it. Then the last one is unconscious competent. You don't even think about it. You just do it. So people, you know, go through most people maybe get to this, this second stage, maybe a little bit to the third stage, where they at least they kind of know what the system is and they're using it at least a little bit, but they're not anywhere near stage four. Yeah. where They don't even think about it you know, weekly, I hadn't thought about that. What keep my system up? Why should I think about that? I just do it.
0: So a couple practical reflections on this. I've noticed, um, through coaching this, that if somebody is very committed, like they make it their priority for the month, they can actually get to conscious competence in 30 days with GTD. I think that's actually quite reasonable. And then if they're, seriously committed for 90 days, they can get to like the beginning of unconscious competence. But for the most part, what happens is people fall off before they get there or like life gets too chaotic. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is on how to get back on your horse, a lot of people use digital tools for note-taking and for, uh, for to-do list tracking. Like I use things for, for the Mac and, and I think it's, it's amazing. It's really beautifully designed, but to get back after, um, let's say a vacation where email is piled up or something, or you've just haven't, you've missed a few weekly reviews. I think it's much more effective to just get a pen and a paper, even if you are super digital. And I've always found that for me personally, like, even though I have the whole digital system set up, when I'm actually feeling ambient anxiety, come online, I'll just, I'll just grab a pen and paper. And that's why I always have one on my desk.
1: Yeah. That's probably a good idea i think you could do it just digitally if you're really facile with that and mm-hmm. you don't and you and you know you're going to engage with the system you know as soon as you finish <laughs> you mm-hmm. know cleaning up uh, but again for a lot of people their systems are black holes you put stuff in things and you don't look at it right And also, oftentimes there's a thinking process you need to apply. That's why I applaud you to write it first, because oftentimes I'll write stuff down and then, you know, the next morning I go, no, not really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, so I haven't engaged, I haven't now committed it into my digital world because there's still a little bit of gestation about these things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And one more point, we have a a lot of meditators listen to this podcast. And so they're familiar with this idea that when you're distracted, when you're meditating, when you notice that that's not a failure, that's actually the basic move of meditation. Like you're bringing your attention back to your object, whether it's your breath or, or a mantra or something like that. I would say the exact same thing applies to GTD. When you fall off the horse with GTD, just coming back to capture is basically the same basic move as beginning again in your meditation practice.
1: Sure. <clears throat> in meditation, you know, I think there's a little bit of difference in meditation or you're trying to learn mindfulness. There is a, there is a kind of a discipline that one could learn about saying, okay, I'm going to watch where my mind goes, but I'm going to stop that and then come back to being present. Uh, I'm too lazy to forget about where my mind went. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, why should I lose that? Just to come back to present again, especially if where my mind went, is potentially valuable, useful, interesting stuff. So, I, so yeah, I understand there's a discipline to learn how to stay present with your breathing and whatever. It's good. I do that, too. But, again, be, but pay attention to what shows up in your mind. And you, what you don't want to do is have that show up again. Mm-hmm. So keeping a journal when you meditate is oftentimes a very healthy thing to do. And you know, if nothing else, just freeform writing, you know, it's a great way to kind of loosen your brain and, and clear a bunch of unconscious stuff.
0: Yeah. So one of the questions that has come up a lot when I asked, um, people that I work with, what question would you ask David Allen? The number one question was, okay, I get how GTD works for me personally, but how do I bring this to a team of like, say six to 10 people? And I know you're working on a book on this topic i wonder if you can give us some teasers or nuggets from that book
1: well we're kind of approaching the book kind of from the negative standpoint to begin with called what sucks about people working together Mm. that's not working right there's a lot of not workingness going on when people get together and interestingly you know um that's my friend brian robertson and our holacracy you know, he said, look, I got religion with GTD, changed his life and whatever. And he said, How come I can walk into my organization and I'm clear, but it ain't. Right. Right. So how do I create organizational mind like water? Well, first of all, Daniel, you could be really clear about your agreements with yourself and your world, and it's all in order and structured, and you're you're cool. You're appropriately engaged. I'm clear. I'm organized, I'm appropriately engaged. I'm really cool. Now we get together. Hey Daniel, let's write a book or let's create this. Now you got two people that are going to agree to do something together. The complexity of agreements goes up exponentially. Well, what are you handling about the book? How are we managing this? Who's dealing with that? What are we gonna do about that? And now, as opposed to just dealing with the committee in my head, which is bad enough, but now i got your committee in your head that I have to deal with my committee in my head and we have to try to come to some level of collaboration. Now make that twenty people or six people or whatever. It's like oh my god! So most teams and people trying to get stuff done in concert with other people are lacking just some of the basic principles about that. Well, who's doing what? Who's got what role? Mm-hmm. You know, what are we committed to? You know, and what are you know? And just it, it's really the GTD principles applied in a larger scale. Um, you know, if I walked into your team. I go, great. Hey team, what's got the team's attention right now? I'm just gonna go up to a whiteboard and just write it down. <laughs> great, great. What about that? Why has that got your attention? What's not on cruise control about that? So now we're gonna clarify what that thing is. Then we're gonna decide, okay, so what needs to be done about that? And who's doing it? You got some outcome you need to be, you're committed to complete about that as a team? See, the team has a purpose, otherwise you wouldn't be a team. Mm. So there's some reason for the team, and if there's some reason for the team, there's some reason for the team to be doing what it needs to be doing, but is it are is what the team doing aligned with its purpose? You know, that's a that's a heavyweight conversation oftentimes to have with a team. Like what are you doing that you don't need to do anymore based upon the purpose of the team? Things have changed, whatever. So there's a lot of stuff out there, and a lot of lack of clarity, and a lot of people are showing up. In, this key person showing up 15 minutes late to the meeting, and then on their on their on their on their laptop during the meeting, and not paying any attention to the conversation that's going on, and then people having to leave early. And then, you know, come on, it just sucks out there in terms of the, the, the crap people deal with. Yeah, how to get things done organizationally. Then, there, then the meeting is unclear, so they send emails to everybody in BCC, everybody, or CC, everybody on there, and then they email, oh, gee, I guess we need another meeting to clarify what we didn't clarify in the meeting. So bad emails create bad meetings, bad emails, or, you know, there's a lot of a lot of that. So yeah, yeah. That. So there are some best practices, and there are some teams that are sort of caught into this and, and work to create protocols so that the team itself is appropriately engaged with what the team should be about. But that's rare. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not something the team is born doing. It is something that needs to be. And sometimes if you have a if you have a head of the team who's kind of got GTD and's kind of got these principles or whatever, they can kind of legislate you know, how the team is going to work and operate. But again, if you have people on the team that are not managing their own next actions and their own commitments about what's going on in the team, you know, the team is only as good as your as your lucid cog. So there's all of that. We're going to be discussing all that in the book. And then, you know, what are the solutions for that?
0: So what comes to mind when I think of the the five steps is that when, when, so we, let's say you and I are working on a book together and you're uniquely qualified to write some of the chapters and I'm qualified to write some of the others in the beginning, we capture all the different things maybe we want to talk about in a place where we both can see it on a whiteboard. Then when we go to clarify in that step, maybe we would add, um, assigning roles like, okay, David, you, you write about you know chapter four on this topic. I'll write chapter two on this topic. And so that would be like one addendum to, to the clarify step. And then when it comes to organize, what happens there? Do we have a system that we both have access to,
1: uh, where our shared agreements? depends on how, what technology you like to use, whether you're mm-hmm. using sticky, sticky notes on a bulletin board. Mm-hmm. A lot of people find that easier than digital, simply because you can walk in and see visually where are we on the different components of the project, and then they move as they move across the board. There is software that can sort of facilitate that, for sure, but not a lot. I mean, you have to then agree on your protocols. Okay, how are we going to keep track of all the stuff that you're, what you're doing, what I'm doing, et cetera? So you just have to trust. I would have to trust that I'm keeping track of anything you and I've agreed that I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to keep track of anything you said you're going to do that I care if it happens. So all I need is my own, you know, action list and my own waiting for list to keep this in control. You know, and then we just need to meet regularly and kind of update each other. Talk, how's it going? and What's up? maybe help or? Or whatever. So you don't need a huge complex system. My co-author and I—he's doing most of the heavy lifting in terms of most of the text writing, you know, and I'm just looking at all of his stuff. We're using OneNote to keep track of all that. Mm-hmm. You know, so we just we set up a folder. I—I I was not familiar with OneNote, so I'm learning learning it better. So that we can you know both make edits to it at the same time. If we want to and and add to it. So, and then at some point. We decide, okay, next thing, what's the next milestone? And is that yours to other is that mine? So we just stay in conversation. You know, we have the data uh, that we need. So that could look as different as any project, any team, at any time. Even the same team with different projects are gonna have different needs for some of those different projects. Some of them only need two people on the team to work together to you know, accomplish that. Some people, sometimes you need the whole team to get together and make sure everybody's on the same page, given the different parts that people are trying to play.
0: Yeah. So what comes to mind here is there are existing methods that now I can, I can see are implementing these GTD principles just in their own way. Like I, I used to run a team of engineers and designers and we would use agile and we had the Kanban boards and every time I'd assign a ticket to one of my devs, we'd get really clear on the agreement, okay, you're responsible for this. But at the beginning of the week, when we'd set up the sprint, we'd have to capture all the different things, all the bugs, all the feature work, et cetera. Then we had to clarify exactly what it is. Often that would mean like technical meetings with the lead engineer. And then you get very clear on who's going to do what. And then we look at the board every single day. So that's a, that's a review. So these principles pop up, I guess, even in these different methodologies.
1: Sure. Yeah, we're writing a chapter on the new work that includes Kanban, Agile, Scrum, Prince, you know, all that stuff. And most of those deal with the external workflow process, which is great. And uh, they've helped that a lot getting rid of waste, you know, Six Sigma and all those other things. Uh, They don't deal with the individuals engaged in those projects in terms of their ability to be able to manage their pieces of it. So you don't have people that are managing their own GTD esque, you know, best practices, you know, those projects are only as good as the weakest link.
0: If you were to give like one to three pieces of advice to someone who's already a GTD convert, you know, I have a client who who's doing GTD, but his team doesn't, what would you say? What's, what's a good place to start if you have like a team of six or 10 people that are ready and willing? Yeah, well, it?
1: I wouldn't, I wouldn't even use the term GTD. I'd say, Hey guys, what's working for us as a team right now? Hmm. Are we doing any improvement opportunities in terms of how we're communicating, how we're clarifying what what needs to happen? Uh, Are we on cruise control? What's got the team's attention right now? Why? Why does it have somebody's attention? It's because somebody didn't identify something, make a decision about what needs to be done and park it into the system appropriately. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, that's just data. So all you have this GTD is just good business. Not a mm-hmm. cult. Just <laughs> hey. I mean, most people think it is because, for whatever reason, but uh, no, just that's that's what you would need to do. You need to clarify that it's just very specific. There's no there's no overall template that you're going to overlay on these things and make it all work. Be nice. Other than, hey, what's got the team's attention? Great. What's the team going to do about it? How important is it? Where does it fit in that organizational structure of what the team is doing and its purpose? Uh, how often does, does who need to review what in terms of the status of the project and the team? Right? And then is the team appropriately engaged with execution? That's going to happen when we fly to Jupiter. It's going to happen, you know, this is universal. best practice but not everybody's doing this. Trust me. I'm a huge improvement opportunity for most teams to become more conscious about this as opposed to just kind of chasing whatever is latest and loudest for the team.
0: You've worked with some of the busiest, most effective people on the planet. Like you've done thousands of hours of coaching with some of these guys. I'm curious, what, what has been some of, uh, the common traits you've seen in people like that?
1: They want more room. They just need more space. <clears throat> they know they've reached a limit. There. I don't want to take the bank home with me when I go home with my young kids on the weekend. David, you know, how do I get more clear you know, about all this stuff? Or, <clears throat> wow, I wake up with million-dollar ideas, but I don't know who to get them to or what to do with them. Because he's already made a billion, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. so uh, that's often what I find with these busiest people. They are already see. They some of them are the the ones that are most attracted to GTD because they already know systems work. They've got mm-hmm. them. They already know organization work. They organize. They already know thinking about stuff strategically is important. But they already know this stuff is useful. It's just very few of them are doing it in a truly pristine and a in a sort of totally engaged way. So they got a lot of loose in, loose ends.
0: What would you recommend for a pure beginner, like as a, as like a milestone for when they've got, let's say the white belt of productivity. What's the white belt for GTD?
1: Well, you're writing stuff down, you know, and you're keeping stuff out of your head, at least for the most part. And you're deciding next actions on the things that you're going to do something about. And you're keeping reminders of those actions you need to take. That's really white belt.
0: I think something that's um, subtle, but present and implied in what you talk about is actually the importance of intuition. And this is a bit paradoxical because it seems like GTD is about externalizing your your thoughts to a system and then trusting that system as opposed to trusting your intuition. And there's some truth to that. But really, when you're making these decisions about what to be engaged with, it seems like it's coming from
1: from your intuition sure. or your body. My system my system doesn't tell me what to do. I tell myself what to do. I'm using my system right. to make better decisions. There's just decisions support, the that's all. I may look at my system and go, I ain't going to do any of that. That's an intuitive judgment call. So I don't follow my system. I follow my intuitive judgments based upon content that's in my system. You know, I don't, my work doesn't control me. I control my work. So uh,
0: we we're coming up on the hour mark and maybe uh, to bring this conversation home. When you look back on your career, I know you've had a bunch of different jobs and you kind of stumbled into corporate training and development and, uh, and all this stuff. Um, when you look back on that, what is a thread that ties everything together?
1: Um, <clears throat> I guess my interest in models that make things work, mm. a model, meaning there's a set of things to do, that if you do these things, the result improves. So I've always been fascinated by models. Essentially, that's an invisible thing you can't see. The people who've come up with really good models, you're not born knowing those. They also don't show up automatically in the world. You figure them out. Look, if I do this and I do this, it produces this with less energy. So I've always been fascinated by that idea of sort of the efficiency of thinking. I mean, I guess I'm an efficiency nut. I mean to me it's all efficiency. It's like, well, how are you doing what you're doing? <laughs> you know, can you do it easier? You know, I'm Mr. Lazy. You know, how much easier could I be to fulfilling my life purpose or getting to where I want to be five years from now? Is there some easier way to do that? And so I have got some model that I could use to help me do that. I go, Yay, a little better.
0: You mentioned life purpose to the extent that you're comfortable. How would you describe your life purpose?
1: do I'm just having access to the highest energy fields that I have access to. Mm. And then expressing, experiencing those and expressing those in my best ability.
0: What do you mean by energy field? Uh, You figured that out. Mm -hmm. David, do you have any closing remarks, final things you'd like to leave the listeners with?
1: No, just have a good life, relax, enjoy whatever it is you're doing, and uh, you know that's it. Be nice to yourself. Be nice to people around you. Yay.
0: Beautiful, David Allen. Thank you so much for this conversation today. Sure, I know it was fun. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to that conversation with David Allen. If you enjoyed it and you're a founder or executive who wants to apply GTD practices to your personal life or to your team, then let me help you. You can book a call with me at dkazancom slash coaching or click the link in the episode description. That's d.com.